0: Welcome to the Davy Tree Expert Company's podcast, Talking Trees. I'm your host, Doug Oster. Each episode showcases one of Davy's certified arborists sharing advice with everyone about caring for your trees and landscapes. We'll talk about everything from introduced pests, seasonal tree care, deer damage, how to make your trees thrive, and much, much more. Tune in every Thursday to learn more because here at the Talking Trees podcast, we know trees are the answer. Before we get started today, since this episode posts on Veterans Day, we want to send out our heartfelt thanks to all those that have served in the military to protect our freedoms. And if you can, please listen to an earlier Talking Trees podcast. It's about a program called Saluting Branches. The Davy Tree experts volunteer with other arborists to honor American servicemen and women by organizing voluntary tree and landscape care at National Veteran Cemeteries. All right, let's get started with today's episode. I'm joined this week by Luke Warner. He's a district manager for the Davy Tree Expert Company in North Pittsburgh, and so we know each other pretty well. Uh, We've talked many times, and today we're talking all about trees and shrubs with winter interest uh, because it is still time here in the east to plant. Luke, welcome to the show what were you thinking when, when you first heard winter interests as far as trees and shrubs go?
1: Oh, I kind of got excited. You know, it's, it's something that, you know, I love uh, taking care of trees. I love planting, you know, new plants. Everybody thinks to remove trees, but you know, it's nice to get excited about putting some new plants in. So um, with that, you know, everybody seems to, oh, I want something that flowers. I want something that looks nice in the spring. And, And that's, that's great too. But you know, there's so many other ways to get beauty out of plants. So, you know, in the in the Pittsburgh area, when everything is kind of wet and gray and dark and dreary in the winter, um, it's nice to have some plants that still offer some interest or something to look at or um, be it, uh, you know, there's a lot of different things. But um, that's kind of what, what, you know, gets me excited is being able to put things that extend the kind of the enjoyment you can get out of plants.
0: So when you're thinking about that, You want to start with trees?
1: Yeah, we can do that.
0: And what are we talking? Uh, Bark, uh, evergreen, berries. What are you thinking?
1: Well, there's kind of, you know, I have, you know, it's a few different categories. So when I think of winter interest, the first thing I always think of is, you know, the bark or the exfoliating bark because there there are no leaves. Um, But, you know, there's a handful of trees, Kusa dogwood, Japanese stewardia. paper bark maple uh, and a couple birch trees, whether it's a paper bark or a river, river bark, or I'm sorry, a river birch. All right.
0: So you mentioned one of my favorites, which is the stewardia. Uh, Not only, you know, I know we're talking winter interest, but whenever I hear stewardia, I got to go there. uh, Talk about that tree for our climate uh, in the East here and start with the shape, the size, the flowers, and then what we're going to talk about today, the winter interest. What is the winter interest of
1: it? Yeah, I mean, I always, I usually think of the uh, the bark when I think of uh, Japanese stewardia. Um, and I think it was primarily when I, you know, when I worked in the field for Davey, we um, were going into a backyard and seeing this tree and I'm like, what is this tree? You know, I just, I hadn't been exposed to it with more of a forestry background, but um, you know, to so many of the different cultivars, but the, um, you know, it's can be a multi-stemmed, um, or, you know, they can have a kind of a couple different forms. Some are more kind of single stem, some are, you know, multi-stemmed at a certain point. Um, but they're an ornamental, uh, ornamental tree. They're, they're smaller in size. Um, the flowers, uh, flowers are just, you know, they're beautiful. They have the orange and white, um, and they almost look fake to me sometimes because they they're so vibrant in their color and they're kind of so perfect that, um, you know, they just kind of stand out in the landscape. And then going into um, going into winter, you know, that bark, when when we say exfoliating, meaning it can peel off or it comes off in pieces. And with the Kusa dogwood and the Japanese stewardia, they almost give like a, a camouflage pattern or shape. Um, and they'll have different contrasts between the whites or the grays. Um, but it is, yeah, it's certainly a stunning tree. It's not one that you see on every property either. So,
0: um, you, you know, for that, Stuartie, I put one in a couple of years ago and I was so thrilled to see the blooms uh, in early summer. You know, it was, it's kind of a surprise. You know, when you first put a tree in, you know, I knew what it was going to do. But when was it going to do it? You know, Mm -hmm. when would it be mature enough to put those buds on? But now, as soon as those leaves drop, I'm looking forward to seeing how that bark starts to starts to mature also. Uh, What else is on your list?
1: Uh, Cusa dogwood was was one for the exfoliating bark. Um, You know, we don't have to go into that one in great detail. The bark's similar to the uh, to the stewardia. Um, you know, if it's maybe something that you're not great with the care of plants, the the Kusa dogwood's probably a little hardier, um, than I've seen than the, than the Stuartia's.
0: How long on the coosa dogwood do those like red berries persist? Uh, when, when are they gone?
1: Um, I was just at a property the other day and most of them were dropping off and, um, you know, he was, the client was it was in a poor spot, right? So it was hanging over the sidewalk and they can make quite a mess. Um, And then of course the, you know, the animals, the squirrels, the raccoons, they all come in and get them, but um, his were starting to, uh, starting to fall off right now. But um, the paper bark maple is another one with the kind of an exfoliating bark Um, has a kind of lightish brown peely bark, like a river birch. Um, just a little bit smaller. And then, of course, everybody knows about the, the white birch or the paper birch that they think of. So that's kind of a category I have with uh, more bark interest on trees. Um, another, another category would be uh, fruit that, you know, is persistent and stays on the uh, plant throughout the winter. Um, you know, properly named the Winter King Hawthorne is one. Um, they have a uh, nice, you know, small red berries that stay on the plant as well as a sugar time crab apple. You know, for the
0: hawthorn, you know, when I talk to arborists, the hawthorn comes up a lot, but I just don't know a lot about it. Is it something we see in a lot of landscapes, hawthorns?
1: Um, yes, it's an ornamental. Um, there, there's the common ornamental that you see most often is uh, thornless. The Winter King does have long, you know, one inch, you know, pretty violent looking thorns on it. Um, And that does scare some people away because you have to be, you know, cautious about that. Is it, are there low limbs that are at head height? Are they hanging over a patio or over a lawn area where, yes, you you know, you could walk into it. Um, So they're great in the right spot. Um, I planted one for a client and it was right outside her, you know, kitchen window in a in a landscape bed. And she loves it because in in the winter, you know, the fruits on there, the birds come and get the fruit. She's able to enjoy, you know, that early winter time, you know, again, with that tree.
0: You know, I love that part of it uh, where you get to watch the birds strip the tree at a certain point. And you mentioned a crab apple and, you know, it takes a couple frosts or maybe freezes to soften up those crab apples. And then the birds feast on the tree. Right.
1: Mhm. Yeah, those are, um, we plant a lot of the uh, the crab apples, you know, in our area, they do really well, they have a nice spring flowers too. So, um, you know, I think it's also that people are more comfortable with a crab apple because they know it. But if I have the opportunity to let them know about some other options that you don't see everywhere, maybe a little bit disease resistant, uh, like the hawthorn over the, the crab apple, then I, you know, certainly like to go that route.
0: Well, you know, in my case, you know, the team from your office actually has worked on a crab apple for me. Uh, I had a pine tree that was behind it, drop on it, and it looked awful. And the arborist looked at it and, and I just, you know, this is a crab apple that's right outside my kitchen window, you know, and I've I've watched it for 20 years, mature. And I was hoping that they could save it. And they did, they, you know, they trimmed it up and said, let's see, let's see. I know, you know, that's what I that's what I love about working with an ar- a good arborist is that they understand the affection that a homeowner has for a tree, you know. Mm-hmm. And and they did everything they could to save this tree and now it's doing its thing, but crab apples, especially the, this older variety of crab apple on a wet year, you know, It defoliates.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I have two at my house and they do the same thing, you know, weather dependent in the spring. If it's, you know, if I don't get it treated for apple scab, it, it ultimately drops all its leaves in the middle of the year, you know, but, um, it's still weather dependent. So do you treat your trees? Because I, I really don't treat mine and should I be,
0: you know, should I, should I give it a, some kind of fungal treatment early in the season so I don't lose the leaves?
1: Yeah. I mean, this year it was uh, just a glitch on my part that I didn't have, a, you know, a work order created. But most every other year I do have my uh, my crab apples treated for apple scab. And it's just, you know, a few foliar applications in the early spring as the leaves are developing. Um, and it's, uh, it's a very responsive treatment right it's one of those treatments that you know you don't always get with with trees you know you fertilize a tree we all know it's good we all know it's great for the plant but a lot of times the homeowners don't see that immediate response but with the leaf disease applications you know it's something that they they notice right off the bat you know those leaves you're protecting them they stay on the tree all year you know you usually have better flowers next spring so it's it's something that they can see relatively quickly but
0: So uh, what else was on your list as far as uh, fruit goes?
1: Um, Those are the two that that popped into my mind for fruit. Um, Another category I had um, was just branching structure, Um, just kind of the aesthetics of the plants in the winter. Um, There's a lot of Japanese maples around here. You know, when they're properly pruned, there's so many different types. They have very unique shapes, so they can offer a lot of interest in the winter just in their form and structure. Um, and then one that's kind of more off the wall is, uh, Harry louder's walking stick. Oh yeah. Or a filbert, oh, yeah. whatever you would, you know, prefer, but they're just,
0: what's the other name for Harry Lauder's walking stick?
1: Uh, people call it like filbert.
0: Oh, okay. Okay. Good. Yeah. Uh, let's go back to the Japanese maple. Uh, when is the right time to be pruning a Japanese maple? Uh, I get that question a lot and I don't know the answer.
1: Yeah, I like to uh, do it after, you know, after the spring flush, right? So they're putting out, um, you know, a lot of energy into that growth, that leaf formation. Um, you know, once that new growth, you know, kind of hardens off in the summer, the the liquid in the tree, you know, slows down. I, I like to prune it then or in the, the dormant season, of course, is fine for everything.
0: And so you, you bring up pruning. For for many homeowners, pruning is 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 one of those very very difficult things to figure out the right way to to do it. Mm-hmm. Are there any are there any basic rules about pruning? To me, you know, and I talk to arborists about this all the time. To me, it's kind of a combination of of art and science. Uh, and I don't know if you see it that way because not every arborist does. Uh, but when I'm when people ask me about pruning, I just tell them just. First off, don't take off too much and mm-hmm. and take your time. Don't you know, sometimes people just go in there and they hack things to pieces. And it's yeah. like, ugh. and, and it, what's funny, actually, is that right outside my dentist's window. So every six months I see this really terribly pruned crab apple. <laughs> and, I mean, and every six months I'm, I'm <laughs> complaining to the dentist because he does it himself yeah like oh you know it's just it's done completely wrong
1: Mm -hmm. so i would agree that there is an art and science to it um especially when you're looking at ornamentals um or pruning around buildings things like that um certainly anybody can get a chainsaw or a pull clip or these things and just clear the building right they just make a you know they clear it by three feet no matter what all the way around it <laughs> um and that's where your art comes into play is being able to you know make those cuts that aren't overly noticeable still keep the tree in an aesthetically pleasing form um the science aspect is more of the uh, you know, the deadwooding, the elevation making, you know, the side of it that's making the proper cuts. So I definitely think there's, there's a mix between the two. But when you talk about, you know, intimidation from the homeowner, um, I think, you know, I see a lot of poor pruning on Japanese maples that um, people over prune them, over thin them, right? It's a very thin barked, plants. So they're very susceptible to sun skull, which is essentially, you know, sunburn on the tops of the branches where the sun hits. Um, And they're very susceptible to that over the winter when they don't have the leaf cover protecting it. Um, But yeah, thinning it out, um, slightly not doing too much with Japanese maples, oftentimes for reduction or proper pruning, sometimes it can take a few years to get it to where you want it to be.
0: Yeah, take your time and Certainly don't go, don't go up into that tree, ha, have a certified arborist. If, if you need to get up on a ladder, have a certified arborist do it. Now the Harry Lauder's walking stick, explain to people what that thing looks like. Cause that it is, it's a cool looking plant.
1: Yeah. Oh my goodness. I don't even know the, some of the words you think to, yeah, that, but it's just an erratic growth. Um If you, you know, if you put like a, an earthworm in your hand and it was squirming all around every shape that worm took the, that the Harry Louder's walking stick has limbs that are shaped like that. It's just an erratic pattern, um, of growth. I don't, I would feel like you almost have to look it up online to get an actual visualization of it.
0: Yeah. I I wouldn't know how to explain it either. How about Medusa? Maybe exactly. Yeah. I don't don't know how to explain it, but how often do you see them in the landscape and how often do you put them in the landscape? Uh, because they are, they're a star in the winter.
1: Yeah. So um, I actually haven't installed any, but I've taken care of a bunch. My great grandfather had one at his house. I remember um, every time he would deadwood it in the winter, he would lay and or throw the, the deadwood down underneath of it. Um, and over the course of, you know, 30 years or so, it created this very unique mulch underneath where it, you know they decayed as well but it it was just very uh I don't know how how to explain it really but it was it was almost stunning you know and that tree didn't have leaves it was like all of the erratic growth in the crown and you look in the ground and this landscape bed underneath of it was covered in you know years of (laughs) pruned out dead wood that looked the same so it was pretty
0: unique that's pretty cool how did you get into this uh working with trees
1: Oh, I always liked to hunt and fish and be outside. I really had, you know, no idea what I wanted to do, so I went and got an associates in in park and recreation. Um, took one forestry one hundred one class um, in, in getting that associates, and it was the first time I really enjoyed, you know, going to class and and learning and you know really asking questions and. Did a quick search online of some forestry schools, and you know, Penn State, WVU, Syracuse, all you know popped up around here in Pittsburgh, where I'm originally from. Um, and majority of my family went to Penn State, and I think I had enough of it, so I ended <laughs> up going to WVU and uh, got my bachelor's in, in forestry down there, and then ended up pursuing the the urban forestry route um, in Pittsburgh because my wife you know, had a, had a job here in the city. So there's not too much, you know, timber marking or managing large tracts of, of timber in the city, but, um, you know, we manage properties. So although, you know, both, both positions are managing properties, it's just whether you manage, um, you know, a hundred acres or one acre or four trees or 4,000 trees.
0: Well, your team is managing my four acres and I am so glad to have them here because, uh, again, I, I, I mentioned this almost every time I talk to an arborist, I live in this oak forest with oak wilt. And so, oh uh, yeah, I, so I need a great, uh, arborist to, to come once or twice a year and, 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 and help me and, and they'll be coming as soon as, as soon as the leaves are off the oaks, <laughs> yep. they, will, they will descend on my property to cut this and cut that. Uh, is there any other category uh, for winter interest?
1: Um, in tr- I mean, I'd like to cover just a couple other things as in trees. one other one that I do like you know are the the evergreens, right? things yeah. that are green all year. It's some color in the winter. There's a numerous array of you know ornamental shrubs and small evergreen trees you can choose from. Um, one I like is the Edith Bogue Magnolia. It is a, a northern Hardy southern magnolia wow so it's a pretty cool plant um and they're available locally as well so um it just looks like a southern magnolia that you know is, is cool tolerant for our hardiness zone, which is nice
0: so tell me about it as far as where you would cite it and how big that would get because that's pretty exciting for a, a, a northern gardener to think that they could have something looking like that southern magnolia there's there's nothing like those uh, glossy oh no,
1: yeah the um the ones that I see that do the best um kind of in full sun. I just started seeing them, so we don't see a lot of really large ones. You know, it's just kind of a plant that I think was just starting to catch on. The largest one I've seen, oh I don't know, is maybe fifteen feet. You know, I was just at the nursery the other day, and I didn't take a
0: close look at it. And I bet you it's the tree you're talking about. And I walked by, and I said, "Wow, a southern magnolia." I should have looked at it closer, but the ones in the nursery were probably, you know, eight foot, mm-hmm. uh, so a pretty decent sized tree. I don't have the full sun, but boy, I would love to have one <laughs> in the landscape and see what it would do uh, eventually.
1: Yeah. And then as far as shrubs go, a um, couple of my favorites would be uh, Witch Hazel and Winterberry.
0: Oh, talk about Witch Hazel because that's one of my favorites. I have one called Diana with with red flowers, but okay. I, you know, There's there's so many, you know, I see them in the wild blooming Mm -hmm. at all sorts of different times. So there must be lots of different cultivars, Uh, you know, in my landscape. That's the first thing to bloom.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, I have one at my house. Um, It is more of a, a tree form. Um, It's a grafted plant. Um, So mine goes up a few feet, of you know, has a few feet worth of a stem and then it sprouts out into a, you know, very um, multi-stemmed plant. Um, But yeah, it throws off your, uh, mine has a yellow flower. So it has fingers, like, you know, if you take your hand and, you know, put it upward and extend your fingers, those kind of, that's how kind of the flowers look. They're, you know, thin, twisting, yellow-type petals. Um, but like you said, you can get different cultivars that have, have different colors. Um, but it's, uh, it, I mean, it's a great plant. There's medicinal uses for the plant. Um, it's indigenous to the area. Um, so there's a lot of good things, you know, going for the, for the witch hazel. You can get one for whatever site you have almost. Yeah. And and pretty
0: easy to grow, I think. Right.
1: Oh yeah. It's, um, it is not not difficult. I know the one I put in, um, although, you know, I'm an arborist, I don't always give my plants the best attention at home. I try to pick the ones that maybe require the least attention, but um, I did put that, that witch hazel in with my daughter on Arbor Day um, when she was, you know, one years old. So I like to have something like that on the property to always, you know, I try to plant one with her every year. So oh, not just awesome. the witch hazel, but different, different trees.
0: Oh, oh that's really cool. And then, uh, for anybody who happens to be visiting Pittsburgh in the winter, there are uh, a huge stand of winter berries in front of our Phipps Conservatory. Uh, talk about that winter berry. You need a male and a female, right? Is that, is that how it has to, to, to make the berry?
1: It's like a holly. Yeah. You know, when you have certain hollies like that, a lot of the females will have the, um, the persistent fruit on them, nice red berries, um, but they are beautiful in the winter. I mean, when they drop their foliage, it's just like that whole, the whole bush, the whole, each stem, it just looks totally filled up with red berries. Um, and then when you get a nice, you know, a snowfall on top of them, um, the, the contrast between the red berries, the white snow, you, they're usually up against, it seems like, you know, a darker foundation or like it, it fits some of that stonework, things like that it's just it's absolutely stunning
0: well luke i'm gonna leave it right there there's a lot of great ideas there for homeowners i wish i could find a place for that magnolia you're talking about i think i'm gonna have to poke around the the landscape and look for a spot maybe where one of those oak trees fell down
1: there you go yeah that's a big canopy that's uh you know opening opening up a a big area
0: all right luke thanks again for your time
1: no not a problem doug it was a pleasure
0: Boy, I've got to find a place for one of those magnolias Luke was talking about. Now, tune in every Thursday to the Talking Trees podcast from the Davy Tree Expert Company. I'm your host, Doug Oster. Do me a favor and subscribe to the podcast. We're having so much fun and learning, too. Next week, for our special Thanksgiving show, we'll talk all about the reasons we're thankful for trees. As always, we'd like to remind you on the Talking Trees podcast, trees are the answer.